Hello again. Just to reassure you, um, I'm not going to say anything today that you haven't heard a hundred times, so it's all good. And, you know, what do we know about when the Bible repeats something over and over and over and over and over and over? It's important, yeah. There's, there's two nails the Bible keeps pounding over and over and over, and this is one of them. Um, we have been looking at the book of Philemon and talking about uh, our new beginnings, and Paul is unpacking right now today our new, new beginning because of the new position that we have a new position with each other because of what Jesus has done. So I was watching a documentary a little while ago about how there's hardly any animals out there that will fight to the death with their own species. But there are a few. Uh, For instance, lions will do it. Hyenas will do it. Ants will really do it. And it's, it nearly always tends to be something about territory. You know, if you're, if you're on our tribe's territory, you're the enemy and we're going to fight to the death to kill you. And they very quickly learn to know who's part of their group and who's not part of their group. Ants go way over the edge with this. If you smell wrong, you're dead. That's, that's it for you. Um, and people do this too. In fact, we're kind of famous for it in a way. Um, it really fascinated me. I, I follow a particular anthropologist named um, Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. I love her books. Long, long ago, when she was a young woman, she uh, and her family went to live with a tribe in South Africa in uh, Botswana. Um, they were some of the very last hunter-gatherers in existence. And they lived together, and she wrote a book called The Harmless People about them. Because the name that they give themselves, which I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try, basically translates to The Harmless People. And she caught a lot of flack about that book because it's, it's not that that tribe is pacifistic. They're not. What that name actually means to them The harmless people means we're the people you grew up with. We know each other. We're not the enemy. They are. Okay? Their neighbors, uh, the tribe called the Khoi, refer to them as the San, which is a Khoi word meaning people who live in the bushes when they don't have any cattle. They're trash, basically. That's what that means. And the Khoi obviously refer to themselves as us. (laughs) the good people, the real people, the actual human beings. And that turns out to be a pattern that's pretty consistent throughout history and throughout different cultures. And when you get a group of people together, they tend to name themselves something that means basically people, human beings, real folks, us. And they tend to name their neighbors something else that basically means not us the other people. And sometimes there's a derogatory pin to that, the people that live in the marsh, you know, the stupid people. And that's a real typical pattern for people all over the world. And lest we think that we are past way above and beyond that, we're still really good at it. Get on Twitter, 
What's the basic theme of the major people on Twitter? I'm right, they're wrong. If you follow me, we're right, and they're wrong. If you don't follow me, you're wrong. Right? Isn't that the basic theme of most Twitter stuff? You know, and, you know, we watch a movie where there's a big battle, like, you know, Lord of the Rings. The orcs have no individuality. They're just this horde of expendable things you can shoot at. We, didn't, we dehumanize the others. We're the real ones. They are not quite human. It's us and them. It's human beings and not quite human beings. You think we don't do it? Ask the Japs. Ask the Chinks, the Wops, the Krauts, and the Frogs. Ask the Redskins, the Camel Joppies. Ask the Spicks, the Slants, the Republicans, and the Democrats. We do it. We're good at it. Unfortunately, it's human nature to see others as not quite human, not like us, as objects or things, problems, something to be managed and coped with. And part of that is because our brains are hardwired to categorize. That's part of how God has designed us to survive in this world, is our brains are really good at categorizing things and making it easy to plan and manage what's going on. And unfortunately, we tend to do that to other people as well. But things are easy. You can cope with things. You can manage things. You can manipulate things. You can own things. You can destroy things. You can like things. You can completely forget about things. Things are easy. So it's understandable that we do that to each other. But it's not okay. That's, that's, that's the nail that Paul is pounding here. The things in our lives, the power-hungry boss that you have to work with, changes from being a person to being a thing that you have to manage and placate and manipulate and evade so that you can get your paycheck and go home. Right? The clerk at the, at the DMV changes from being a person to being a thing at the end of a long line of other things so that you can finally get there and have an inevitably ugly picture taken so you can get your driver's license renewed and go home bunch of things. Even people we love can become things from time to time. I've never raised anybody, but I've seen it happen. The screaming child at Walmart, lying on the floor having a tantrum, I would imagine becomes briefly a thing to its mother. This thing that I have to somehow scrape up off the floor and get out of here without getting arrested with my stuff so I can get in the car and go home. Even your dear little dog can become a thing that makes you feel good when you pet it and play with it, but you have to take it for a walk and get it to poop up and so you can go home. Even those we love can become things. When I was a tiny young pastor many, many years ago in a galaxy far, far away, I worked as a night clerk in a Circle K. And one day I noticed a sort of a pattern developing that was really getting under my skin and hurtful. 
for some reason that particular night, it seemed like no matter who I spoke to, I didn't get a response. And I began to feel kind of invisible. And finally, towards the end of my shift, a man came in with his son. The man kind of stood over by the door. He was waiting for his son to get a Coke and pay for it and come on. And so I greeted the boy, good evening, and no response. He got his Coke and came up to the counter with his money, and I said, good evening. And the father spoke up from the doorway. He said, give him his Coke, take his money, and shut up. And they left. And I felt thoroughly thinged, believe me. So I got to thinking about that, and I put together a little video. There's no sound on this, but it's just a video of how we sing each other. That's a telephone if you've never seen one before. So, the nail that Paul is continuing to pound today is one that we're very, 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 very familiar with. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we tend to think of that as meaning I have to love myself first so that I can love my neighbor. Does that sound familiar to you? Kind of makes a sort of a rudimentary sense. But that's not what that actually means. In the culture that Jesus was speaking into and all the prophets before him were speaking into, being a member of a particular tribe, especially the Israelites, was really important. Kind of like it still is to be American or whatever you are. What that means, love your neighbor as yourself, doesn't mean love yourself so you can love your neighbor. It means love your neighbor because they're you. And it's kind of hard for us to wrap our brains around that. But to move the person in the car traffic jam to be one of my family, one of my tribe, someone that I would donate a kidney to just because they're part of us, part of my clan, part of my family, one of the people that I care about, help, and would fight to protect, a human being, a normal, a we. Think about the mess that human beings have made of life. This is the wrong page. Hold on. Bear with me here. Yeah, we're going to wing it. Okay. So how does being in Christ help that happen? To take this thing out there and change it back into one of me. Let's have a look and review what's been going on uh, in this letter with Philemon, what Dan has already been talking about.
Paul brought Philemon to Christ. So Philemon is now a Christian. And he and Paul are good buddies. Onesimus ran away from Philemon because Onesimus was a slave belonging to Philemon. And in the context, it kind of sounds like Onesimus also stole stuff from Philemon when he ran away. And he ran off and stumbled across Paul, and Paul got hold of him, and now Onesimus is a Christian. He's been led to Christ, and he's become very precious to Paul. Paul refers to him as my son. So now Onesimus and Philemon are both human beings to Paul, and Paul is up to something. He's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, one, so the Nesimus can right the wrong that he's done to Philemon. And also, and Dan didn't touch on this yet, but that's kind of what we're doing this week, so that Philemon can receive Onesimus as a brother, which he couldn't do before. Before, each one was a thing to the other one. Philemon was a master, an oppressor. We don't know whether he was a good master or a mean one, and it doesn't actually matter in this case. He was the master. Onesimus was a slave. He was property. He was a tool, a household appliance. Each one is a thing to the other one. But now they're both in Christ. They both belong to Jesus. They're not allowed to be things to each other or to thing each other back. They have to relate to each other as brothers because of Christ. So let's have a look at the actual scripture that we're using here. Paul's writing to Philemon. He says, So, if you consider me to be your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. That's important. We're going to come back to that. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, that you may refresh my heart in Christ. Now, Paul is offering to pay whatever debt Onesimus owes to Philemon. He's written a blank check and put it in this letter. That's what it means when he says, if he owes you anything, I, Paul, am signing this that I will pay it back. That's a blank check. It's legal tender. It's a contract, and he's sending it off to Philemon. Now remember, Paul is not a rich man. He's a tent maker. He lives off of charity and whatever he can sell tent-wise, and he's always traveling. He ain't got a whole lot of money, but he's offering to pay whatever Onesimus owes, not even knowing how much he owes. Philemon is rich enough to have at least one household slave. He's probably got a bunch. I can't quite see Philemon cashing that check, can you? It'd be kind of silly. So, and I kind of don't think Paul's really expecting him to cash it either, although he could. It's a legal document. But what is Paul up to? Why is he doing this? Well, his goal is he wants Philemon to be able to receive Onesimus as a brother. So he is pointing out, first of all, Onesimus owes Philemon big time. He took off, which is a betrayal. He probably took stuff, which is a theft. And he's thinging Philemon, treating him like a jailhouse. 
Onesimus owes materially what he took, and he owes spiritually for treating Philemon like a thing. So Onesimus needs to be able to face Philemon as a brother. And Paul's removing the debt that stands between them so that Onesimus can do that without fearing for his life. And Philemon owes Onesimus big time. He owes him for holding him in bondage, whether it was voluntary or not. Sometimes in that day and age, slavery could be a voluntary thing. You sold yourself into slavery to pay off your debts or stay out of jail or whatever it was. But we don't, it doesn't clear here at all whether this is a voluntary bondage or a captivity war, uh, prisoner of war slavery, or he was born into slavery. It doesn't quite matter. The point is that Philemon owes Onesimus big time for holding him as a household appliance, thinking of him as an object, singing him. Materially and spiritually, he owes Onesimus. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Dan's already pointed this out. You know that Onesimus is a thing because the name Onesimus means profitable or useful. And I can pretty much guarantee you that's not the name his mother gave him. That's a name Philemon gave him, or the person who sold him to Philemon gave him. That's a thing name. So both of these people are going to have to see each other as brothers to whom they owe restitution and forgiveness. And it's not going to be easy. They've got many, many years of habit to overcome and a whole lot of cultural pressure to fight against. The best Paul can do by himself is offer a gesture, but his blank check ain't going to cover what they owe each other. But it will hopefully open their eyes and hearts to each other. So think about the mess that we human beings have made out of life. We owe each other big materially and spiritually. We rob, we cheat, we exploit, we manipulate, we use, we hate, we exterminate, we ignore, and we abuse. In addition to all the times we lay our hearts down for each other and donate kidneys to strangers, we do bad stuff too. We owe each other big. We are frequently perfectly willing to just scrape each other off like gum off our shoes. That person doesn't count. They're not really a person. Wouldn't it be great if someone would do for us what Paul is doing for Philemon and Onesimus? Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would come to us in a loving relationship and pay our unpayable debts to each other and send us back to face each other as brothers and sisters, as human beings? not things, not others. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a clean slate with each other over and over and over because, you know, we need it over and over. Well, of course, you know, we all know this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. We tend to think in church that that stops with Jesus makes me right with God. I have a clean slate with God. And that's the first step. Yay, Jesus. But there's this other step. Jesus also cleans my debt that I owe to you. 
and I owe you a debt. I hate to confess it, but I have thinged each and every one of you from time to time. And you owe me for the same thing. Jesus actually has paid our debt that we owe each other. So we have no grounds for holding a debt against anybody. Even though that ain't fair. It, it kind of, when I first got a grip on this idea, it really kind of set me back on my heels. And I almost was tempted to say to God, how dare you? That's not, that doesn't belong to you. <laughs> Come on, they, they owe me. You can't just take that. You know, and you can imagine what God said in reply to that. <laughs> kind of a hold my beer, you know. <laughs> Watch this. It, it's not fair. It's, it's redemptive. It's, it's God all over it. So because Christ has absorbed the debt and the harm, we must do likewise. My neighbor gets to have a spiritual clean slate with me over and over and over, even if they never make their dog stop barking. You know, even if my neighbor is actually a dangerous person who needs to be in prison, they still get to have a clean slate with me heart to heart over and over because Jesus has taken the harm and the debt out of the mix. They have to be a human being to me no matter what. Paul is obviously expecting that Philemon and Onesimus will be more deeply changed after they meet together face-to-face -face as brothers than they even were when they first came to know Jesus. Their walk with Jesus, the walk that is supposed to change each and every one of us day by day into more and more loving people, their walk with Jesus is they're going to have to voluntarily change the way they see each other. And it won't be easy. And so do we. We have to voluntarily change. Paul probably, you can imagine, has already said to Onesimus everything that he's saying to Philemon in his letter. All the same stuff. Paul accepts both of them to change at a deep level. Now, there's lots of yeah buts that go in here. And we may as well touch them because they're important. Um, most of you have heard about boundaries and how important they are in relationships. It's important to know where, who I am and where I stop and who you are and where you stop and how those relate to each other. However, boundaries need to be not walls. They need to be semi-permeable boundaries. We need to be able to let each other in and keep the bad stuff out. The same thing with consequences. Anybody who's raised a child, not including myself, knows that consequences need to happen so that people can grow. It's part of learning to respect each other. Consequences may need to be quite severe sometimes. We may need to spend the rest of our lives in prison if that's the consequence that is realistic. If we just can't be safe with other people. However, even the most severe consequences need to be pointed towards being redemptive, not dehumanizing. Does that make sense? Hi, Dan. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. 
All right. So let's look again at some of the things that Paul talks about. When he says, Philemon, I want you to refresh my heart in Christ. He's not talking about make me happy for the moment. Do what I'm asking you so that I can be pleased with you and we can go on with our relationship. He's talking at a much deeper level than just the emotion of the moment. He's talking about Philemon set my heart and mind at ease. Heart is the word for the total person, not just my momentary emotions. And the word refresh that he's using isn't just about, ooh, nice breeze, cool, you know, that's great. He's talking about refresh as in long-lasting encouragement and uplifting, change my poor jaded old heart, help me to be refreshed in the potential of what Christ can do. How much like Jesus can you be as a, a, a new creation? And I know I've, I've said this before, but when you're scrolling through YouTube and you come across those ones, you know, restore your faith in humanity, some of those restore and refresh your heart at a level that you needed. You need to see people loving above and beyond the call of mere duty. I remember, this just crossed my mind, there was, there was a, one of those reality shows a long, long time ago about first responders, and they, I think they followed an ambulance around or whatever, but the, the opening credits showed a uh, film that was taken when uh, an airline crashed into the Potomac River in the wintertime, and there was ice flows flowing down the river, and the plane's going down, and there's like three people that have managed to crawl out to the top of the plane, and the first responders are on the shore. They can't reach. Nobody can reach the people out in the middle of the river. And it's going down. It's looking really bad. And finally, one guy on the shore who's just like a woodcutter or somebody, just this guy, kicks off his shoes and jumps in the river and starts swimming. And eventually, they did manage to rescue one or two people out of the plane. But they later interviewed him and said, why did you do that? You knew you couldn't make it. And he said, they needed to see somebody do something. It just was breaking his heart to think of those people going down with not seeing anybody do anything, just standing on shore wringing their hands. That's the kind of refresh my heart that Paul's talking about. Let me see you grow in Christ like you've never grown before. Kick my faith up a notch. Blow my mind about what is possible for a new creature to really be. Don't just be nice. Be a blazing light in the kingdom. We have a new beginning here because we are positioned in Christ. We are members of one another. I know you've heard this over and over and over, but it's true and it's important. We are not things in the kingdom of God. There are no things in the kingdom of God. No objects. No others. No them. There's only the beloved we. And because we are in Christ, we have to treat everybody as part of the beloved we, whether they are or not, whether they even like it or not. Because that's who we are in Christ. That's who Christ is in us. So Philemon and Onesimus are entering a whole new way of being people. I wanted to close up with a, a couple of quick examples about how this plays out in 
the life that you and I are used to living, what we know. I came across a story about a lunch lady in the cafeteria in a high school, which kind of by definition is a person who doesn't have much. And she happened to discover that one of the students, a teenage girl, had gotten into her purse and taken stuff. And instead of calling the cops on the kid, instead she befriended her. She got hold of her parents and said, I want to teach this girl how to bake. I'm a really good baker and I'd like to teach her how to bake. So the parents assigned the the girl to go learn how to bake with this woman. And the woman eventually became her mentor. And it was a redemptive, wonderful relationship that they developed out of that. Just because the lunch lady decided, I'm not going to sing this child. I'm going to treat her as my own daughter. Another story that many of you are very familiar with is the story of Kurt Willems, who was one of our denominational ancestors back in the days when the Anabaptists were being persecuted by the rest of the church. And Kurt was literally being chased across a frozen lake by a sheriff who has decided that he's going to turn Kurt over to be hanged as a heretic because he's an Anabaptist. And they're fleeing across the frozen lake and the lake breaks and the sheriff falls in the water and begins to drown. And Kurt Willems goes back and pulls him out of the ice, even though he knows that as soon as the guy gets his feet on the ground, he's going to arrest him and take him back to be hanged. And he did. And he was. But what a witness that is. You are a human being. You're my brother, even though you've decided to kill me. I want to close up this last one as the worship team starts coming back up. We're going to watch a little video. This is actually a commercial for Everlast Boxing Products that Dennis has kindly cut the commercial tailor off of it. But I just want you to watch the video because it's an excellent picture of what it's like even little kids can do this. So just watch this and sit with it as we wrap up. Go now in the joy of Christ as true, real human beings. May the Lord cause you to increase in love for one another and for all people because of him. Go in peace.